You're listening to Stand Out Get Noticed, episode 220. Hi there, Rockstar, and welcome to Stand Out Get Noticed. I'm Christina Cantors, your host, here with you for another episode to help you achieve more confidence, influence, and impact in the workplace through powerful communication. Now, if you want to deepen your learning after listening to this podcast, I invite you to join my free Small Talk Made Simple class. This is a 10-day email course designed to help you develop more confidence when talking about yourself and communicating your value. You can sign up at freeconfidencecourse.com. Now, on this podcast, if you've been a regular listener, you know that we talk a lot about verbal communication. So how do you get your message across and influence and persuade people when you speak? Now, this week, we're addressing something a little bit different. We're talking about your written communication. And this is something I'm really excited about because it's not something we've talked a lot about on the podcast, yet it is still very important. You know, written communication forms a big part of our general day-to-day communication. And to help me share this topic with you and to share some insights, I'm very excited to welcome my guest, Joshua Lysak. Now, Joshua is the founder of The Entrepreneur's Wordsmith. He's the first certified ghostwriter in Ohio. He's a Forbes contributor ghostwriter. He's done a TEDx talk and he's a two-time published novelist. And since 2011, he has ghostwritten 40 books. He is absolutely obsessed with the written word, and you can absolutely hear that when he talks about it. And as you're about to hear, he has many tips and tricks um, for helping you to be more influential and persuasive with your written communication. Now, there's lots and lots of information, lots of content in um, in this conversation. So I recommend, if you can, to get out a pen and paper and take some notes If you can't do that, if you're driving, that's totally fine. Um, I will pop a summary of this podcast in the show notes at thecmethod.com slash 220. And all the links that I mentioned here, of course, will be available um, in the show notes or in the description of of the podcast in your app. So you can tap on it. It'll take you straight there. So in this conversation, um, Joshua takes us through his seven, uh, sorry, not seven, six, six pillars of influential content. Now, these different pillars, these different elements, you can use them in emails, blog posts, speeches, um, any type, like, you know, reports, any type of written communication, you can use these. So lots of good stuff in this episode and I am going to take on board, you know, as much as I can of what he shared and I'll be applying that into my written communication. So if you jump on the Small Talk Made Simple class, you'll receive occasional emails from me and I'm going to be implementing what I've learned from Joshua into those emails. So jump on that to see how I'm implementing it and maybe you'll learn something from that um, as well for your own written communication. Okay, enjoy this one. Let's meet. Joshua Lysak. Words on a page, they're one dimensional, right? They have a specific definition, the dictionary definition. Yet, words move movements, they move the masses, they move people to become the best version of themselves, both in their personal life and their professional life and their career. 
there are a reason why inspirational quotes are uh, adorned the uh, boardrooms and conference rooms of, <laughs> of the walls of, of every company from where you are there in Australia to where I am here in the, the Midwest United States, all around the world. There is a reason why we our companies have vision statements and mission statements uh, and, and taglines for our brands because our words are the way that we live and move and be in the world. And so being able to kind of swim in that medium is just so exciting because I'm not just working with words. I'm working with emotions and I'm working with psychology, what it is that makes people respond to a certain turn of the phrase um, that wouldn't make them act that way if it were worded differently. Mm, can you give me an example? Yes. Yeah, so a, a great example, it actually has to do with a language tier. Uh, most of what I do as, as a wordsmith is, is as a ghostwriter, actually. I ghostwrite uh, speeches for founders, executives, managers. I also ghostwrite books. Books is actually the primary thing that I do. Um, and I often tell my clients who have a corporate background to lower their language tier from the your professional corporate language that they would be used to using in official documents or reports. Typically, in, in it's close to like a, a 12th grade level, so like high school, maybe even early college age. You want to lower that down to fourth or fifth grade level. Simple sentences, subject, verb, subject, verb, maybe throw in a preposition here and there. And so I find where, yes, you know, you're, you're writing at a, at a professional level. Everything makes sense. But it's difficult to process. A lot of uh, brain power goes into understanding it. Whereas if you're just to word it very simply, and at, again, that, that fourth, that fifth grade level, um, it's much easier to absorb a lot of information. So that's particularly useful when you are giving a presentation, you are, uh, you're delivering a report, or you are writing a 300-page, 350-page book. So you're saying that even when you're writing a report in the workplace, if it's, you know, something very important and needs to be detailed to write that at a fifth grade level? Yes, yes. Simple is more persuasive because what you're doing is you, instead of engaging the the intellect, you're going straight to the emotions with the simple words and you're going to be able to, to paint a visual image rather than describe abstract concepts and, and theories. Mm. And, you know, it's really interesting when, when people write speeches or presentations, they tend to write in that very intellectual, you know, corporate language. And then when they go to speak it, it just sounds so unnatural and, and weird because they've written it in the way that they wouldn't normally speak. That's right. That's right. I, I do see that a lot. And, and if it was even to, to borrow a, a lesson uh, from, from politics, you'll find that the, the, the people who win elections are those who speak at a lower grade level. Just as a, a perfect example of this here in the United States, in our most recent presidential election, the, uh, the, the candidate who lost spoke at an 11th grade level. The candidate who won spoke at a fourth grade level. So why is it that we feel we have to speak at a, you know, at a higher level with more complicated words? Otherwise, people will think I don't know what I'm talking about. I have to use the big mm. words, you know, the, 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 the big definitions. I remember when I was in elementary school, I was, must have been eight or nine years old. The, uh, the instructor said, the bigger words that you use, the more will pe people will think you must know what you're talking about. 
And I learned that at, at an early age. And so as I was, you know, kind of becoming a wordsmith, I tended to use bigger words. But I found that, yes, people were like, hmm, they must know what he, he must know what he's talking about. That didn't actually produce results. It didn't motivate people to take action. People would just nod their heads and say, hmm, this kid knows what he's writing about. Oh, look, he used a word with five syllables there. But there wasn't, there, there wasn't <laughs> an, an effective call to action. There wasn't inspiration uh, uh, being delivered. Mm. And they're going, he must know what he's talking about, but I certainly don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, precisely. Okay. So, Christina, I feel like I should have just, I, I feel like I should have just said that because that was such a, a, a clever, um, uh, you know, a, a clever point you just brought, brought up there. But yes, that's exactly it. That person must be an expert. And they know what they're talking about. I have no idea. So, yeah, I'm impressed by their cover letter. I'm impressed by their presentation, but I'm not hiring and I'm not buying because I don't have a clue how, what they're talking about and how it, how it's going to affect me. Yeah. And I think it's so important for people to think about like when you're writing something or you're preparing a speech or, or email, whatever it is, think about like, is your goal to impress people and to demonstrate how smart you are? You know, I think taking it back to that end goal and going, actually, my my ideal outcome here is for them to, like you said, Joshua, for them to take action, for them to be inspired, for them to do something. You know, it's really, oh, because I my goal is to look as smart as possible. That's a great point. I think to kind of, uh, to, to kind of summarize it there quickly, the point of using the abstract language, the professional language tier, so, you know, sophisticated uh, vocabulary, the point is to impress. But if you want to influence, whether that, again, is to uh, earn a promotion or to close a sale, simpler language is going to be most effective. And also on that point, people who can describe a difficult, complex topic in the simplest terms possible can actually be the most persuasive communicator on that topic. That's why we see the quote-unquote experts of any industry tend to be people who write general trade, nonfiction, you know, self-help books or business books that are written at kind of an everyday language level where anybody can access their difficult ideas um, because people have, have you know, the, all these authors, these experts have simplified it into the most important, uh, most important points, the key takeaways, and communicated those in the simplest language possible that even uh, um, a lot that you could understand, you know, at that very simple, yeah, simple level. Absolutely. So Joshua, tell me more about the success story fallacy, because we're talking about this before we started recording and it sounded really fascinating to me. So w- tell me who does it relate to and what's it all about? Yes, the success story fallacy. I love this topic because I, I, I believe if, 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 if I'm not, uh, if, if I'm not out of, uh, out of line here, the People who listen to your, your your podcast, Christina, these folks are people who are interested in public speaking. Either they've been asked to by their employer or that's something that they want to step up to do. There's some sort of thought leadership expectation for them. Maybe you're writing for the company blog. Maybe you are actually going to represent your company at a trade show. You've been asked to join a panel. And if you have been called out by, let's say, a manager and say, hey, I, know, I, I feel like you've got what it takes to speak on behalf of the company or of the industry or even just share your story, what's going to be most natural is to talk about your journey, either at the company, you know, rising up, uh, climbing up the ladder, your experience in the industry. And, and yes, lived experience is very important to share. But what I found, and this is especially with 
with people who have who are delivering a speech, presentation, or writing a book is in one way or another, they're showing a success story. Maybe that success story was success uh, on the job. You know, they've they performed far and above what would be what was expected of them. Maybe their success story is achieving a very difficult goal. Maybe their success story um, that they have kind of a, a rags to riches story where they they started you know, in, in a place where you wouldn't expect them to rise up to the very top of a company. Whatever that success story is, it's the most natural thing to share. And it is inspiring to hear someone share their, you know, get that, uh, that 10 million views TED Talk and, you know, hear someone's story. But the problem with sharing a success story is that success stories don't scale, which means people who are showing up to either hear you share your story or they're reading your story. Yes, they're looking to to be inspired, to be motivated to do something, but they're also looking to learn something, to say, what about this person's story can I apply, can I apply to my life? And the problem is that I found that most, again, most success stories don't scale, which is to say a lot of what worked for you in your situation only works for you in your situation. And a great example of this, I, I, I was reading this, this, um, this book by uh, a successful um, entrepreneur, and he was sharing how he got his first investor for his first venture. And his quote unquote success story, which again, people are, are looking to for some advice, how can I apply this to my life? It just so happened he met his first investor having a beer at an airport restaurant. That mm-hmm. that is not advice. It doesn't scale. I mean, if I were to take that literally and say, okay, if I want to get an investor, I have to go to the airport. I have to get go to the bar and order a beer <laughs> and start talking to people. And then that's that's kind of a, an exaggeration of the point, but I think it illustrates the fact that for a success story, what worked for you to succeed worked for your unique situation your background, the skills you already had. And I've found that what we also do when we share a success story, we overestimate the importance of the specific steps we took and we underestimate uh, underestimate the involvement of luck or chance or even little things that aren't very sexy. So for example, one of the the secrets that I share with my, my own clients and people that I train up to become the next generation of, uh, of ghostwriters is that I get up and work starts every day at 6 a.m. Now, that's not very sexy. A lot of people are like, well, I don't want to start, get up and work at 6 a.m., six days a week. That's no fun. You know, work 12 hours a day. Uh, I even shared that on, on Twitter recently that that was one of my, my best tips of advice for young professionals. Uh, and I was ratioed. I, you know, the, the haters uh, quite uh, came out against me. So that's something that I thought, wow, I probably don't want to share that again because it's not very sexy advice and people don't like that. Um, you know, getting up at 6 a.m., working 12 hours a day, six days a week. So that yet yeah, that's one of the things that has been truly influential for me, but it's not very inspiring or motivational yet. So, so if I were to exclude mm-hmm. it from a success story and say, here are the four things that you should do to become a successful writer and leave that one out, I would be painting a false picture <laughs> of what it takes to be, to be successful. And yet if I do include that, Nobody wants to hear it. So I'm kind of stuck where I want people to, I want to help people, but at the same time, I want to give people what they want. So I'm stuck in this success story fallacy where my lived experience 
doesn't scale. Okay, sure. So what can we do about that? The solution to the success story fallacy is what a model that I've used, whether it's, it's books or speeches or newsletters, it's a framework that I call the six pillars of influential content. So this goes back to, do we want to impress people or do we want to influence people to take some sort of an action? Whether that is come up and talk to us uh, after we've been on the panel afterwards or to take our cover letter seriously, invite us in, you know, past the first round of interviews, uh, you know, come and, and speak again uh, at the uh, at the trade show, whatever, whatever that action is. This model I found works the best because you're able to take what is inspirational about sharing your lived experience, your success story, but you're also able to package it along with other things that kind of check the persuasion boxes that exist inside of our heads as human beings. So I'll go through each of the six pillars of influential content. And I've used this when I've been okay. when I've written uh, direct response sales pages that have sold out the product that I was launching that I've used this with 350 page books. So we could use this for any type of written communication, really, where we want to influence. Yes. Writing a blog for the company, writing a report, writing a presentation, writing an internal newsletter, writing a speech. Perfect. Okay, cool. So everyone listening, I want you to have a think about what you might have that you or that you write frequently or maybe something you've got coming up and see how you can apply these to to that, that piece of content. Okay, go ahead. Perfect. Let's jump right onto the first pillar. The first pillar of influential content is credibility. Now, when we think credibility, it's like, okay, well, what's on my resume? <laughs> you know, what are all of my compliments? What's or, uh, what are my accomplishments? What is it that makes me someone who's suited for being listened to, to be taken seriously? But I think any. Uh, any resume writer or resume um, coach or career coach will tell you what you want to do to stand out. And we're going to we're going to borrow this and apply it to the credibility pillar is you don't want to have the bare minimum that everyone else has. What are the unique accomplishments that you've been able to do in the past? What has been your unique set of, 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 of skills, uh, your uh, your stack of accomplishments that sets you apart from anyone else in your industry. Uh, a, a great example of this uh, is one of my clients who uh, she is um, she is an, an online uh, entrepreneur, um, and what she was able to do is in her credibility, she is in a uh, is in a um, is in a developing nation with a spotty internet connection, yet. Given her her circumstances, her difficult circumstances, she was able to bootstrap her way to a multi-million dollar business in a short number of months, even given her constraints. So in her case, she's not saying, you can become like me, do all the things that, that, that I've done. She's saying, I've been through the hardest path. I've taken the hardest path you can take, and I've got all of these accomplishments. So for your credibility, what is it that you have uh, accomplished that... If you were to look at someone else's resume, that they couldn't say that they've accomplished that as well. So credibility, again, it's more than certifications. It's more than it's more than degrees. It's more than credentials. It's unique experiences that set you apart. And so if you're giving a speech and maybe someone else is introducing you, you want to make sure you have two or three unique indicators of credibility that someone else couldn't share. Uh, if they were giving up and maybe had the same degree that you had, the same experience, what is something that you've uniquely accomplished that could raise eyebrows, so to speak? 
Right. All right. Awesome. So that's number one, credibility. The second What's pillar? the next one? Yes. Second pillar of influential content is connection. And the idea here is that you as a communicator are not existing in a, in a vacuum, right? Where your theory, your topic, your job even, you are expected in one way or another to produce results or to help your coworkers or management or the company produce results. So whatever your, your topic is, whether it's a, you know, you're writing a blog or a newsletter, you're writing a speech, how is your topic and your take on your topic going to lead directly to measurable results? So with the, uh, the author I was mentioning to you, her example, what we did was we organized her table of contents around the most important things that her readers want to accomplish. Again, in terms of actually getting specific results. So in her case, uh, you know, what she's advising people to do is to roll out their very first digital product. And there's specific things like making sure my, uh, my, my email system is set up, making sure my product launches and, you know, my, my product is, is meeting all of the right points, right? There are specific things that are going to say that are going to make people say, wow, I want to go to this thing so that I can learn how to ABC or so that we can figure out how we're going to solve this problem. Um, there, there wants, there needs to be specific, a takeaway from your topic. Otherwise it's going to be something like, Thanks for coming to my talk today. We're going to discuss an introduction to insert topic and people have already fallen asleep <laughs> at that point, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, great. I can get some work done. <laughs> so you got to share the result at the very start. Yes. As in asking the question, why are you here? And, and that would be asked, not asking yourself, why are you here, the speaker or you, the writer? Why is your mm. audience there? Why are they reading your email, reading your blog post, uh, you know, listening to you as a speaker? What is it that they want? So you want to make sure you are connecting the content you're producing to what it is your listeners, your audience, your readers want. Love it. All right. What's the third one? The third one is compelling. And this actually, I think we did actually briefly cover this already, is the most emotionally compelling message is the simplest most understandable version of that message. So that's why I always advise my clients to speak, to write, to communicate at that fourth or that fifth grade level where it's very simple. And even if let's say you're, you're taking notes or maybe you're distracted at the coffee table or you're having your tea or whatever, you know, maybe you roll in five minutes late, you can still process what the, the the speaker is saying, or if you know if you're reading uh, an email and you're distracted and you're just glancing at it, you can take away some of the most important points, and you don't have to sit there and focus and you know copy and paste to find out what a word means. You know, go over to Merriam-Webster. Yeah. What does this word mean here? I'm not sure what this theory is, but the jo again, Joshua, the most, I have most, a, sure. I have a question. So, when someone say if they've composed an email or a blog post, how do they know if the language is understandable. Is there ways we can we can check that? Oh yeah, there's a there's a couple of great ways. I think anyone either who uses uh, Microsoft Office or has an internet connection. So Microsoft Office uh, has a uh, has a built-in uh, system called the Flesh Kincaid um, grade, and that's what you would want to use and, and look at. What is your Flesh Kincaid score? And it's very simple. All you would do basically is go up to the uh, the spelling and grammar checker. 
and have it run a, run the report. And what you'll do is at the end, you'll get that flesh Kincaid uh, grade, that score. And it, you know, maybe it'll be 12.7. I've had some come back that are like 15. And it's like, nope, we need to, we need to simplify this you know, by about, uh, by about two thirds here. Cut out, you know, most of So what's of the, the score you're looking for? Big words. You're looking for, again, somewhere between four and six, you know, having that, that simple, even fifth grade uh, level. Another way is, if you don't have Microsoft Word, is to use a tool called Hemingway Editor. Just hop onto Google, search Hemingway Editor. I actually believe it's HemingwayEditor.com. You copy mm -hmm. and paste any text, and instantly the software will tell you what your score is, your grade, rather. Is it 7? Is it 10? Is it 12? Wow. Is it 5? That's fantastic. I've never heard of that. That's great. I'm going to try it out. Yeah, real simple, simple and easy checker to make sure you've got the, uh, the compelling pillar undergirding your message. Let's dive onto the fourth one, shall we? Okay, let's do it. Yes, the fourth pillar of influential content is counter industry. And this one is, is a little fun for uh, you know, people who have maybe a, a disagreeable streak or who are, uh, you know, who have a, a bit of a bolder message than the average uh, average person who doesn't want to, doesn't want to stand out. So this is, this is what I always advise people to use caution on, but when you do it right, it can get fantastic, fantastic results, especially from the top leaders in your company whether that's the owner, whether that's the, the, the chief executive or, or your boss's boss, for example. The counter-industry pillar is insight you have into ways that, going back to the connection pillar, what is it that people want? You know, what, what, what are the, the, the specific results, the benefits, the solution they're looking for? And what insight do you have into the most common ways people are trying to get those results and they're doing it wrong? Wrong meaning they're trying an old broken model that doesn't work. They're trying something that just spins the wheels. Their idea or their uh, their actually way of doing things is actually counterproductive. Even um, a good example mm. of this, uh, if I can again borrow my uh, my my entrepreneur author, one of the things that she came out very strongly against uh, in her book is actually kind of quote unquote. Uh, common sense in the uh, in the uh, the online business world for for you know your digital uh, digital business, and one of those pieces of advice, the quote unquote common sense, is you have to be prepared. You have to make sure your branding is perfect and professional. Your website is pristine. You have to look and be official. And she comes in like a like a, a gentle wrecking ball. If that can if that <laughs> mixed metaphor can work there, uh, with her <laughs> counter industry pillar, and she says. No. As a digital business person, it's easy to get stuck in perfection mode and not actually do anything. So I say, launch ugly. <laughs> That's actually one of, you know, one of the, the phrases. Uh, just get it done. Get it out there. And if people buy it, buy your offer, buy your product, hire you for your service, that means you've got something. Then you can spend time on, you know, making your website pretty and making sure all the colors, the, you know, the color palette matches and all that. Um, so for her, she got quite a following just from that one message because 99 other mm -hmm. experts were saying this other thing and boom, she's saying something completely different and she got noticed and the people who tried to make the perfect website, the perfect branding, um, and it wasn't really, we're really getting anywhere. They're like, oh, I think this woman is on to something. Yeah. 
So let's move on to number five, Joshua. What's number five? Yes, five is the call to action. I, I unfortunately see this one as, as being the probably the most overlooked uh, pillar of influential content in, in a message. And that is, what do you want people to do once they've heard your message, uh, once they've read it, once they've seen it? What is it exactly that you want people to do? Um, oftentimes, I'll see a message just end with, Here's what I told you, right? I think there's the kind of the, the common wisdom of how to structure uh, a piece of content. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you what I told you, right? And that's how it ends is, okay, here's what we talked about today. Here's, here are the, the five points of the article. See you next time. But what is the specific action that you want people to take? With a book, mm. the clear call to action at the very end needs to be something around engaging with the author further. Maybe you have a free newsletter that expands on the content. Maybe you have a video on the website. Um, if maybe you're writing a, a company blog post, is there a topic you brought up in the article that you'd really like people to dive into further? Maybe is there another article that you'd like people to uh, to to read? Um, in, in the cover, let's say you're writing a cover letter. What specific action would you like for the interviewer to take rather than or the, uh, the hiring manager, uh, the human resources person, rather than just say, Here's my resume. Check it out. That sort of a message. But what is the specific and direct thing that you would like people to do is close out your, your piece of content with that call to action. Oh, and even like with even with emails, right? Like it's so important to write an email. And something that I find really frustrating is when someone forwards me an email and just says thoughts, you know, without like a clear explanation of what what exactly would you like me to do? You know, don't just forward me an email. Tell me you know, this is, this is my call to action for you. You know, and I think a lot of people just write emails and just leave it with a really vague ending and they don't make it really specific. So that's something you can take on board for your day-to-day -day communication. Absolutely. And even the, a bonus tip might be, let's take the email example, is don't wait until the end to ask people what it is that you want, what, what, what that call to action is going to be. One of the, the best ways to prime people, to, uh, to persuade people even, to, uh, to take action is to mention at the very beginning and then again in the middle what you're going to ask them to do. So maybe in the, the, um, uh, the, the example of the email, maybe when you're first saying, here's what it is that I'm, I'm emailing, you know, here's, here's the message I have to, to relay, you mention, I'm going to ask for your feedback on this. So here's the piece I want to I get out, right? So that way they know, oh, it's like a signpost. Something is coming up that I need to pay attention to because I'm going to ask for my feedback. That way they don't just skim it, see the body of it, and think, oh, I'll respond to this later. And then they miss that part mm. where you ask the question. But get people ready. Um, and, and this way, and, and that's why with, when I'm working on a book, the very first, one of the very first pages is actually what that next step is going to be. And we're say something like, when you finish this book, go to, you know, check out this website for a free resource that helps you put in, in place and take action on what you've learned as soon as you're done with the book. So they know, okay, they're ready to take that next step before they've even gotten to the content. And that principle works with the uh, great example of the day-to-day -day communication, the email as well. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Okay. And we're on to the last one, number six, the sixth pillar. Yes. The sixth pillar. This is circulation. And if, if I were to borrow a, a language, actually, or borrow the language of marketing and sales, think of this as word of mouth. What is it that ideally your reader, your audience, what do they tell other people about what they took away? What, from your perspective, would be just awesome if people shared 
with others. And I think we have a great example of this going back to the very beginning, the boardrooms, those inspirational, motivational quotes, those, those short, simple phrases that originally appeared in a blog post or in a company newsletter or on you know, the, the, the tagline of a website or even in an email shared between coworkers that was so exciting. It had circulation potential and has worked its way inside the company and even to outside the company and even outside the industry. And this is one that can look a little bit different for every every piece of every piece of content. It's not going to be as relevant to, let's say, uh, an email where you're just going back and forth, maybe editing a presentation, making sure it's ready for the for the big day. Um, but there are going to be situations where maybe you have multiple people. There's an audience of people. Maybe you're you're writing a report, you're writing an article, and you want to make sure that people are sharing the right message. Um, uh, about what it is that you want them to to take away. So it can little, look a little bit different for every situation. Yeah, but I think it's about having that awareness of making sure that you're not just writing this piece of content and then it just sits there. You know, thinking about how does it get out, how is it being shared. Right. Awesome. Well, Joshua, this has been so great speaking with you. Thank you for sharing all your wonderful advice and tips. Um, can you share with us where people can find you and who are the people you help? Sure thing. I work with uh, thought leaders inside of the the corporate world. So this is everyone from the, the 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 business professional who's aspiring to say management, or even the executive who wants to start sharing their thoughts with the company, setting a company vision that can uh, everyone can get on board with. But maybe they don't have the time to write those blog posts or even write that industry standard uh, setting book. Um, the best place to find me to talk more about whether it's a speech you've got coming up or you've got a, a book or an, an article that you want to write even would be my website, entrepreneurswordsmith.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Joshua Lysek. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Joshua. Uh, thank you. I was glad to be here today, Christina. A big thanks to Joshua Lysak for being such a generous and passionate guest on the show this week. You can learn more about what he does at entrepreneurwordsmith.com or visit the show notes at thecmethod.com slash 220. That's the numbers 220. Now, before I leave you, remember to join the Small Talk Made Simple class at freeconfidencecourse.com if you are keen to develop more confidence and skill at explaining what you do, talking about yourself, sharing your value in order to get more recognition in the workplace because it's super important. It's a skill that we all need, yet many of us you know, struggle with it. So that's what the, the program is designed for. It's completely free. Go to freeconfidencecourse.com. And that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I'm Christina Cantors, and this has been Stand Out, Get Noticed. <laughs>